give us one practical thing, those who are watching us who are married, that simple, that, and just right to the point of what can enhance our marriage right now, no matter where we are. If you can, the one thing that I would say that, that people should get into the habit of doing every day for a couple minutes is to try to communicate verbally specific details of why they appreciate their spouse. Because that helps to build patterns of fondness and appreciation that are lacking in most of our relationships. Because people forget to communicate these things. And our brains are actually, they're, they're built to detect being not genuine. The whole world is sick. Are you worried about America? I am. Believe the impossible and you can do the incredible. Welcome to another episode of the Catholic Patriot Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Peter Howard, and I'm really excited to have our guest today, Dan Lawson, who joins us all the way from Buffalo, New York. At least for me, it's all the way across the country. And, well, I'm just going to put him on the screen right now and uh, get him introduced to us. Uh, Dan, I'm going to, if you don't mind, I'm going to go through your bio. I, it was really concise and well written, so I'm going to I don't really go off of any script, but this was well done. And because it's very precise and a great, a great launching point, I'm going to introduce you this way. So Dan holds a license to practice mental health counseling in the state of New York. Got a mercy on him there. I can imagine the business where he has been practicing psychotherapy for over 15 years. Currently, he maintains a private practice in Western New York, where he lives with his wife and seven children and primarily serves Catholic marriages and families. He works to effectively combine his faith with psychological training to provide therapy that is deeply rooted in Catholic theology and philosophy. After seeing so many struggling marriages benefit quickly from the simple principles employed through his practice, he decided to create Hearts Renewed, a step-by-step -step marriage program designed for married Catholics to transform their marriage from the comfort of their home. In addition to his private practice and online marriage resources, Dan hosts the Smuggling Hope podcast, designed to bring Catholic counsel to the community, invite listeners into therapeutic conversations, to navigate the current landscape of family, faith, marriage, mental health, and growing cultural concerns. So his new episodes for his podcasts are released every Wednesday. With that, I'd like to um, introduce Dan and welcome you to our podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Howard. This is a great opportunity for me to, to join you. So thank you. I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunity today. Excited to talk about uh, all the things we got in store. Well, we got introduced the first time by being on your podcast. Uh, I don't know how many months ago that was. Uh, was that three months ago, maybe? Two or three months ago? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, I really enjoyed, of course, we were talking about Fulton Sheen. 
and the influences mm -hmm. that he has and the importance that he has on our culture, but also just in the formation of, of families. And um, in light of uh, a lot of the things that I had done over the summer talking on, on marriage and, um, and family life. But when I learned that you were, um, are a, you know, a psychotherapist, that really uh, struck my attention. You know, my first, <laughs> my first question, <laughs> not like this is really an interview, but I mean, I do have lots of questions because I'm really excited to have Dan on the podcast because I learned that he is a psychotherapist and not just a psychotherapist, but a Catholic, a practicing faithful Catholic psychotherapist. And when you put those words together, a lot of things might come to your mind. Like for me, there are certain things like when you hear them that almost make you cringe. Like, <laughs> Catholic, you know, like I need to see a psychotherapist. Well, nobody likes to have the word psycho associated to them in probably any other context. You know, psychology yeah. is at least psychology, it's not psychology. And, yeah. but I have. I have at least one other friend who's a um, psychotherapist and I have a good friend who for his, his own formation, for his own um, somewhat coaching and counseling and things like that um, has sought out one and has found enormous benefit from having this dimension in his life. Um, first explain for us what is a psychotherapist, and then how does this work with your Catholic faith? So first off, what's the psychotherapist so that we all, at least all are on the same page of what it is that you do and what you offer? Okay, well, so, well, so that, that's, let's let's make sure I just don't get uh, thrown out of the field by the end of this interview. No. Uh, well, so my father would say, it's all made up, Dan, it's all made up. <laughs> That's what he would say. But so the word therapist actually comes from the Greek, and, and it, it, it was essentially back in the day, a therapist was somebody that you would contract if you were sick or if you were in close proximity of death. And the therapist, either he was a man who understood the lay of the land or he had some ex-military experience, and he had the ability to protect you and take you from your village to the temple. And essentially, he was the person that was supposed to know how to map out the journey to get and arrange for you to show up at the temple. And, and there you would either um, be healed, you know, or be prepared for death, um, you know, before God, you know, in the Greek tradition, right? So when I think about therapy, I think about it in primarily like the, 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 the focus being that I have to essentially, you know, be with another person. Number one, I have to be free to be with another person. I have to have, you know, principles of, of reality to be able to navigate in, in the world, but also to be able to ask the right questions to help my clients, to help the people I work with move towards the person that God has, has designed them to be, which is very different, right? Than, than just, you know, you can be whatever you want or the, I would say my, my field at conventions, people always you know, will bring up, especially if it's not a therapy or a psychological convention, they'll bring up, where is the Antichrist? And I always joke, it's probably coming from my field, right? Because therapy in general, psychotherapy, psychological training, clinical psychology, there are very good people in the field. 
And there was also a movement, uh, again, of like Gnostic spirituality, this whole idea. Because like the people in my field, people that do counsel, they have both authority and they also have, um, I, I think one of the other dangers, not just the authority, but they also can bring you into the self, right? If you're not careful. And so as a Catholic person, right, I, I would say that Christ informs like the questions that I ask my clients. And primarily I look at the way I operate is asking better questions and essentially allowing my clients, you know, to have, you know, if I ask the right questions, they get a different experience of life. Um, and I can explain more about that. But as a, th as, a, as, a, as a Catholic, it's Christ that has to be the one that informs my, my decisions about what I choose to ask. And that at the, the end of the day, whether the person is aware of my, my religious view or my relationship with Christ or not, I, I have the, I have the, uh, the obligation. I either move people towards Christ or I move them towards something else. And so, you know, the way that I look at, like, pretty much all of this is that you know, if I'm going to be, you know, inviting people anywhere, I have to be inviting them to be with Christ, not to myself as the expert, not to be myself as the authority even, because then that's, then that's, that's not what they're created to be. They weren't created to please me. They weren't created to please whoever their lover is. They weren't created to please whatever the world says. They were, they were created to meet to be perfectly in union with Christ, whether they even know who he is. So primarily, like my work is, it has to be informed through that, right? Through that relationship. And, and just like, um, I guess, just like a really great recipe for cookies, you know, um, if I have a really great recipe of cookies that my grandmother gave me, um, many people may enjoy the cookies, but they may not know my grandmother, nor do they have to understand or know my grandmother or spend time with her in order to enjoy the food. The same way is that Christ informs all of these dimensions of my work, and yet they may not necessarily, um, you know, have the, uh, you know, at the, at the present time, full acceptance of who Christ is or the Catholic, the Catholic Church. Um, it does not suspend the goodness of the Catholic Church, does not suspend the truth or the beauty or even these principles from affecting and creating change in people's lives. Um, and so that's my long-winded answer, um, I guess, is like uh, to combine the two. But, but again, I'm not the destination. The world can't necessarily be the destination. Um, but with my, with my clients, I have to travel with them. But I am not the one who does the healing. Um, God wants to do the work. And, you know, how is it that I can operate to make room for him? And actually, my, my mentor would always say, like, can you be like salt? Can you make things better but be unknown? Can you leave no trace? Um, or do you want everybody to talk about you? Because if you want everybody to talk about you, then that's a problem. So I don't know if that makes sense. Maybe there's more to go from there. But mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that gives me, uh, I, I think, some, some good background. I mean, when I think of the work that you're doing, I, I, I go, this is what also excited me, is because to find Catholics who are in this field and who are approaching things from the the standpoint of it is through the human to the divine. Um, it, it, this is exactly what Fulton Sheen spoke about when he, we talked a little bit about this, I think maybe in our podcast together on your mm -hmm. show, but what he called the wave of, of evangelizing 
for really our times of the future after he was gone, because he said, I long to be a part of this. And I'm going to read exactly just what he said. He was talking about this third presentation of, um, of, of the gospel and changing people's lives. But he says, look, it's not just going to be the, you're not going to reach people by the presentation, direct presentation of doctrine and dogma. He says, it is going to be anthropological. And he says, I merely mean it as the roots of the word imply, a study of man. The presentation of religion had been principally from God to man, but now it will be from man to God. It will not start with the order in the universe, alluding to the existence of a creator of the cosmos. It will start with the disorder inside of man himself. It will take all the findings of our psychological age and use them as a springboard for the presentation of divine truths. And he says, just go on, he says, I often wish that I were younger so that I might use this third approach, which I have mentioned, namely, starting with the unhappiness inside of the human heart. The audience is always there. The opportunities are ever-present. And it says, there's a need to take hold of tortured souls like Peter, agnostics like Thomas, and mystics like John, and lead them to tears, to their knees, or to resting on his sacred heart. It's a really powerful thing. I mean, this is exactly what I find from my own experience is where the starting point needs to be with almost all Catholics. And so I do, even in my own life, I would say, and I, I think those who are involved in your field would say, and even exorcists would agree that it's about 85 to 90% of the issues that they deal with are not demonic as like a possession or something like that. It has something psychological that has been man, not manipulated, but it's become disordered. And we need to look at that. Now, the devil can influence these things, but we live in an age where, at least with Catholics, it's almost too easy to dismiss, well, the devil's making me do these things. And I, I, just, need a, I just need spiritual direction, or I need to, some deliverance prayer. I think we absolutely need those things, but it's often a cop-out of there's things of myself that need to be fixed that I have to fix. If I'm not kind at home, if I'm not, um, if I'm, a, if I have a narcissistic kind of a personality, you were kind of maybe alluding to that a little bit of, you know, where the, uh, uh, Sheen would say it's, you know, the ego is nothing but fed. You're always the victim. Whatever the problems are, you're really not the you know, at, 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 a, at a major part of the cause. So therefore, you're not really so much of the solution. And you just need someone to kind of explain things away. Um, we don't do anything. And, you know, you, you mentioned in your, um, when I was just reading about your background, we were texting back and forth about the Thomistic foundations that you use when you're approaching people with psychotherapy and this whole notion of the, the importance of grace presupposes and perfects our nature. Mm -hmm. And so the nature part of things is our, that's our realm. You know, that's, there's human virtue and then there's theological virtues. And uh, we often neglect the things that we're supposed to be doing um, that really make the changes versus saying, well, look, I need to take more holy hours, which we talked a lot about in your show. Um, 
Well, okay, but how does that translate? Like you're getting graces, but what does that translate into what you do then? So yeah. I'd really like to know your thought about that because first off, you're, you're, the, those who, that you work with, they're all Catholic, correct? Or are they not in your psychotherapy well, practice? Well, I would say that like in general, people seek me out. So I would say okay. maybe about 80% 80, 80 of the people. And, and again, like what in a lot of ways, like people, obviously there are people that I think they get referred, right? But it, it's funny because they're all, I, I've come to realize that everybody, there is no coincidence, people just get sent to me. And sometimes they're sent to teach me things, right? I think that that's more of the time than not, the more I am mentally and spiritually prepared. It's like these people come to teach me. It's really been a really wild, wild ride for me. I feel like like um, my clients have given me hope because you get to see struggle. And if you get to see struggle, then you get to see holiness, even though you don't get to see it in the general world because everybody's looking like they're doing great, right? So it's a really humbling experience as, as the person sitting in the chair where I'm like, people are always like, well, like, Dan, do you, do you, it's got to be weird dealing with us. We're all crazy or whatever. So I'm like, actually, I just feel more human. At the end of the day, I'm like, okay, I feel more human. Like I, I, I feel, you're just in many ways you're like me, or maybe you've inspired me to get my act together because I'm like, man, I don't know if I could do this. I don't know if I could walk away from this thing. I don't know if I could if I'm really paying attention. And um, so I, I think so. There's a couple things there though. So one of the big things in general I see is number one, the world doesn't know what to do with suffering, right? And like you said about uh, our faith, our faith is unique in the sense that. It, it, the call to being a Catholic, the call to being, I, I guess, in relationship with Christ comes through the brokenness. I find it to be like, like it's, it's through the brokenness. Through, it's like the, the, the brokenness is what says, you know, I need to seek God, right? And so whether I know God, whether I was raised in a Catholic home, but people know that they're suffering. People don't know what to do with it. And now the world says that, you know, suffering has no point. And almost that people shouldn't believe it even exists. And so suffering is like the, the container of the human person. And so people can either go inside themselves and depend on themselves, which is what a lot of the sciences have done. And we have scientism now where everything is about self-reliance. And self-reliance has really burned a lot of people out, I think, in, this, in the different other types of spiritualities, because it's always trying to find like some kind of psychological or spiritual hack to, to skip a relationship with Jesus. Well, I don't have to do this. I can just do this part. Or, but it's, it's weird. I always see that as people try to escape Christ, if they've met him or he's wanted a relationship with them, they, they're, they're, he's a stumbling block. And I can talk about that. But um, because he wants, he wants to be known by people. He wants, to, he wants to be known by people. So either suffering makes people go inside or it makes us start to grow in dependence of God and reach out to him. And that's why, I mean, I think that, that suffering has that a great, great capacity. But if you're, if you're not a person of faith, well, what do you do with it? Well, you, you, you just either have to accept it. I mean, the, 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 the truths of Buddhism, I guess, if you study the Buddhist um, movement or the Buddhist, Buddhist faith or philosophy, um, and, and there are many wonderful people who practice that, but Buddhism says we must just try to increase in acceptance. But what Jesus does is different. He says that suffering, that suffering is an invitation to transformation, right? If there's no cross, there's no transformation, right? You know, we have to, and, and so your point, again, about the physical manifestation is that if, if the work, quote unquote, the therapeutic work is effective, 
people grow in, we would say it in our language of Catholicism, people grow in carrying their cross. I would say in a larger, I don't like to, to mess with any of these words, but to grow in responsibility and love. If people grow in responsibility personally to their physical health, their spiritual life, their financial well-being, their community, that creates harmony. And so I look at sanity, mental sanity, sanity different. I, I think like when you study Fulton Sheen, I think Fulton Sheen was a genius about a lot of things. It's a shame he didn't live 300 years because then he would have probably taught us all what we needed to learn in psychology. But unfortunately, God didn't make him the Highlander. So, you know, he, he, but he, he did give like, he gave profound, all of these saints, but he, they gave profound wisdom that, that they just keep passing this to us. But this whole idea that you know, we must take responsibility and the, to have sanity is to have harmony, harmony in myself with God, with God and with myself and then with my, my spouse or my, my children and then my community. Because if I don't have harmony, I'm a lunatic. Like, right, if I'm, not in, in, if I'm not in harmony with God, then I'm paranoid. Then I think everything bad is happening to me. Then I become a victim. Then my whole narrative of my life is that life is happening to me, you know? And, and so it, instead of it being a love story, like the Bible is, the Bible is a love story of God's love for us. Everything is like a, a nightmare. It's this calamity of hopelessness. And so what do we see in young people? We hear them talk about hopelessness, dependency on their parents, if not their parents, the government, or blaming multiple points. And it's, and it's not because they're bad and it's not because of like one specific factor. But I do think that when we look at what Christ invited us in like, you know, in his earthly life and what, you know, I think Fulton Sheen promoted, what, what you and I talked about is we have to grow in whatever it takes to grow in responsibility to our life to, because responsibility produces purpose. And so if you look at a little kid and the kid doesn't understand how to take responsibility for the dishwasher or they don't know how to, how to clean their clothes or they don't know how to be honest when they've screwed up, there's anxiety uh, or, you know, this nervousness, right? And, and Fulton Sheen, I, I love listening to what, like a lot of his audios about, about the psychological dimensions because, you know, because there is, again, there is, um, uh, you know, just, just, just existential truth that, that supersedes just one perspective. These are in stories. These are in metaphors and in the myths uh, throughout all of uh, like, uh, humanity. So I think at the core, if we do like, if we, we are doing quote unquote therapeutic work, or if we're moving towards conversion, right? Mm -hmm. uh, or what, whatever we want to call it, we are taking responsibility and we're doing what is loving. And again, that movement of responsibility and love moves us out of the competition with the rest of the world. The rest of the world wants to fight about politics. The rest of the world wants to fight about all this stuff. The Catholics, we have to take responsibility. We pick up the cross. We don't make it heavier. You know what I mean? And I think that that's, I feel like, you know, there's a danger, though, where we can become lost in a lot of things that are beyond our pay grade, so to speak, things that we don't understand, um, especially about, you know, just the, you know, the, the complexity of, of the situations in the world, especially with people, you know. So I don't know if that makes sense, but, but I always think of, like, recovery or healing or whatever we want to call it, is, is this responsible? Um, and, and, you know, and that's a huge component. Um, if we're, if we're to kind of, um, uh, I think do what Christ said, uh, you know, do what it is that Fulton Sheen instructed people to do, um, what you've talked about. So are you, 
saying that the the greatest obstacle or struggle issue that people are having is a sense of a lack of purpose in their life. Because you were talking about responsibility and purpose. And you could also flip it around is that when you have your purpose, you then you have a responsibility to live that out. And this is where I find um, when my wife and I entered more into like the entrepreneurial world, we stepped out, we were all in the Catholic lens, we were serving the kingdom and all that. But the principles to actually move us to accomplish what the mission was were largely human principles. Like, you know, I, I come first as a theologian. So God is my ultimate, uh, you know, compass where I'm going. But how I live my life on earth um, are the uh, are the human, the practical skills that we're often not taught. And it can be paralyzing. And then that par that paralysis then leads to unfulfillment. And then unfulfillment then just kind of brings us down the spiral of, um, of purposelessness, I guess you can say. And then you're back on the, the conveyor belt just to survive. And yet when, when, we're, when we were in this world, we listened to people who didn't, perhaps didn't have much faith at all, but they were, you know, you, you know what, kind of what you were talking about. There's this looking into... Like, what are the limits of the human being, the human, you know, the human person? And, uh, and this other world of these entrepreneurs are all tapped into that. And they go to a point, you know, like, where obviously where it can become the religion themselves, where they, they find these things that ought, or, or they discover things that are true, but without an ultimate orientation that keeps them on a certain plane. But then Catholics look at that and say, well, look, they're, they're overemphasizing things. And so I want to avoid that because then that's like a Pelagianism or something like that, where it's all about you. Yeah. But then, like, you know, our faith is, a, is being, a, being a Christian is full of paradoxes. But there's one thing at the heart that I think we, we who are out in the field and in our own different respective ways, um, and like Sheen's saying too, we need to actually learn from the different sciences and use them as springboards. Is for example, you know, Christ says, "Love your neighbor as yourself." What does love of self mean? We're just taught to deny ourselves. We're taught, like even with Sheen would say, you know, reduce your your ego to zero. And but we have to have an authentic love of self, and we don't quite get what that means other than a reverse paradoxical language of, well, then you deny yourself and we need to love others. Well, that's great. Love others as I love myself. Like, what does that mean? Catholics don't largely don't take care of their bodies. They don't, you know, they don't, they don't pursue things that bring them to the limits that non-Catholics might be pursued in. And when you look at the world, the world ultimately is a reflection of what the, where the church is at, whether we've done our job or whether we haven't. And we yeah. have the fullness of truth of the human person, the truth of God, the truth of creation, and yet here we are, we're at a complete bankruptcy, moral bankruptcy, spiritual bankruptcy, um, anthropological bankruptcy. We don't even know, you know, not only know who we are, we don't know what we are. Uh, and it's like, well, how, where do we start? And just saying, well, I mean, yes, we know Christ is the answer, and that is our starting point, but we just do, I think we do a, a terrible job 
explaining that. Sheen's book, Way to Happiness, is almost all psychological. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well what is that? You know, so how, how do you how do you uh, how do you answer this or present this? Because I think this is like the heart of this issue. How do you love yourself? How do you pursue happiness? How do you do it? Versus, well, it's all grace. Well, that is true in one sense. Everything we have is a gift. But a father, all of us who are parents get this. We all want children who own themselves. They own their lives. They take what they've learned and they implement it, that they are successful in life, that they actually apply principles. They learn sacrifices. You know, uh, the principles that they learn in pursuing these things at the cost of self are just reflections, analogies of deeper spiritual truths. So anyway, I, I know I threw a lot out there, but this for me is like, is at the heart of how we are to reach this world and evangelize it. I just think there's, there's few people talking about this in the, in the Catholic world. Well, I think I, I think that, like, that's one of the weird parts, right? So St. Bernadette would say she, only, she was only afraid of one thing, bad Catholics. And I think that that's the one thing we got to be worried about, right? I tell people, like, they'll, they'll come to me and they'll be like, oh, these people don't want to do this. They want to join the church. They're leaving the Catholic faith. I'm like, well, it's got to be attractive. Like, like there is a very odd, uh, this is odd in some ways that like for us at this time, like Catholicism is going to continue. I believe it will continue to shine because people, there's nothing as attractive as holiness, right? Because it's to have a full life, which is what Fulton Sheen wanted people to remember god came jesus christ came to have a full life and I, I remember you know we were on retreat you saying you know some variation of that same thing now well there's a lot of different things in there but i'll, I'll stick with your, your your the topic about the self-love so there is the devil's tricky he always gives people two temptations at the same time so the one temptation that most catholics i feel like fall into is being selfless right they don't want to be thought as being a selfish person so they try to do everything. They try to make their lives about other people or being a volunteer, uh, you know, mercenary, or they want to be everywhere doing everything, um, you know, and, and they just pour out themselves to everybody. But then they lose their boundaries, they lose their identity, and they get resentful. And if the devil doesn't get them, obviously, to sin, he'll get them, you know, to be busy forever and, and never, never being a very attractive reflection of the church. So one temptation is to be selfless. The other temptation, obviously, now that we're completely burned out from saving the world, which is, again, something Jesus Christ already did, is now we become selfish, which is the other thing that we despise, because as a Catholic, how, who wants to be told that they're, you're a selfish person? I mean, it's somebody that almost makes us you know, sick. And so what is the middle path? And I, I guess the the, the flag I would point, because I haven't seen anybody else, you know, put this this wordage or this verbiage on it, is to be self-full. And maybe there's some terminology for it. I, again, we, we talk about holiness. We talk about, Matthew Kelly talks about the best version of yourself, whatever. But you, you need to be able to deliberately make yourself get engaged in processes that help you to become the greatest gift you can be while you're here. And so there's a lot of things that get in line with that. But one of the big things that most Catholics are cut off from is appropriate sense of desire, right? They, they are cut off from what's alive in them. And so what, what, may, what, we, what, you're, what makes you alive will make you want to sacrifice. And if you want to sacrifice, the more you sacrifice and, and grow in virtue, the more that you're going to grow in holiness. Now, a lot of people do it the wrong way. They don't know 
they're afraid of the wrong things and they they're, they're so afraid of i guess what the world thinks that they sacrifice and they, they their whole lives are patterned to please something that doesn't exist and they still sacrifice but they sacrifice for a god that isn't jesus christ and they become their life becomes smaller it becomes all about their money it becomes all about their name or their fame or their accomplishments and instead of their life being bigger and so instead of like them expanding their lives shrink they don't have room for their children or their spouse or the community or other people it becomes very fixated and so i, I think that the the self-full nature like this 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 decision to um, engage in these these natural processes, these natural habits of virtue setting, they will help us and they continue to help us be greater um, gifts to our spouse, to our children. But if we don't have possession of ourselves, right? So a key component of this is discipline. If I don't have possession, I can't show up and give myself as a gift. And so then like my life and even my dreams and my desires humiliate me. Now it becomes depressing. Because in, at the core, and Fulton Sheen talks about this, you know, it is like I am not in possession of myself. My passions have become unruly. I, I drink too much or I say too much or I, or, or I have no, no custody of my eyes or I have no control over how I spend money or how I eat or I like laying in bed too long or I'm a rageaholic, whatever it is. So we have to be honest. And I think that that's one of the things that therapy offers people. I mean, you know, but, but I would say that, you know, hopefully it offers people a place where they can be honest. But again, what ironically, like when people start being honest, it's super important if they're Catholic, it's time to go to confession. I always joke with people like you're going to get way more out of confession than coming to me if you're Catholic and you can get that grace. But when you go, like if you think about it, like from this, this movement of self-full, if you're a Catholic and, you know, and, and you struggle with sin, it's a good it's a good good thing to reflect on is before I go to confession what do I want to be there instead because that's the thing I need help with from Christ so that I leave confession yeah yes I've confessed my sins but the contrition gave me direction direction to start doing things that make me a whole person so what do I want instead of lust what do I want to be there instead of anger what do I want to be there instead of you know uh, you know you know, deception. What do I want to be there instead? Because those are the things that I need to get positive discipline over. And that way, like, as I increase in love, I will decrease in the space for sin, but I also will become less afraid of giving myself as a gift. And the more, more I am less, the more that I'm not afraid, you know, the, the more, the more people become drawn to that. They can tell, like, I'm not playing by the same rules. And so a lot of people in the entrepreneurial section, they've, like you, we've talked about this before. Is like as Fulton Sheen said, like when the the, the church drops something, the, the the world picks it up, and I think the entrepreneurial people have picked up a lot of things. And but one of the things that people forget is when I look at entrepreneurial people, whether it's on TikTok or whether it's on Facebook or Instagram, we are drawn to the dream. We see this person with this fancy car, and so the desire is something we need to check in with. What is it that I desire? What is alive in me? And, and I talk to people about this and I, I teach them how to talk about these things in their marriage and elicit these conversations with their kids or if they work with, uh, they have their employees to talk about that. Because people will sacrifice for things, but oftentimes like people forget sin and desire on like the same wavelength in the sense that, 
you know, sin oftentimes has to do with us trying to fulfill our own desires and not really trusting in God. It's like, we're just going to make this happen. And then it's, and then we blaze a trail and it's pretty terrible. So, so that's a huge thing though, is, is this self fullness, this self possession, but it needs to be connected to what is alive in me. What is it that I desire that, I, that if I suffer for, that I will become more like Christ. And some people don't acknowledge Christ, or maybe that's difficult for them to kind of, um, you know, you know, get their mind around. Because if you, the other thing that people forget is the more a human being lives inconsistently with what they were designed to be. So this is aside from theological revealed truth from the church. So we just take Joe Schmo, and Joe Schmo doesn't know Jesus Christ, and he tells a lie, or he overeats. And, you know, or he drinks a, a liter of vodka, lies about it, and has, a, a, you know, a gallon of haagen and he lies about it. He tells nobody about it. He's, his confidence goes down. Every time we do things that are inconsistent with the person we want to be at the end of our life, our confidence goes down. And so a lot of times people forget that, you know, it takes sometimes a bit for us to go through this purgation, right, as the saints talk about, like, of, of really, like, putting love where there was so much sin so that we can start to, you know, see the image of Jesus in ourselves, see the image of God in us. Because oftentimes, like, there's, we can't see that image, and so those spiritual realities we push away. And one of the things I loved most about one of the things that Fulton Sheen said was, you know, that atheism really wasn't an issue of, of theology or even philosophy, but it was an issue of behavior. You know, um, it was an issue of behavior. People were attached to something, but it was going to prohibit them from engaging in higher spiritual realities in a relationship uh, with with our Lord. Oh, that's and that's think, all good. Um, walk us through what a typical journey looks like when a Catholic comes to you, and okay, let's just say a, you know, a practicing faithful Catholic. So they they pray. They do, you know, they're doing the things they go to confession regularly. Yeah. Um, but they're going to you and they're saying, in a certain sense, those things aren't fixing, you know, fixing the issues, the problems that they're struggling with a lot. Where do you, like, what is your starting point with them? Because obviously the spiritual part, we're not necessarily, you know, that maybe theological formation is strong enough. Sure. Yeah. And now as your psychotherapist mode comes into this, where where do you try to take them? Or, or you know, what, what's your what are your first steps with them? Well, with with people, right? So, you know, when when I talk about this with people, people don't resist change; they resist being changed, right? And so, one of the first mm -hmm. things is really like when people come to me, like in general, like they've they've got a problem. I don't know what the problem is, but we want to make sure that that person have an awareness of who they are and to ask questions, to ask questions that guide them. And again, when I talk about questions, I mean this from a neurological standpoint. When I talk to people about things, I'm activating parts of their brain. And I'm very specific about what I do, which is very different. Because like if, if I activate a memory, just like people talk about trauma recall, mm -hmm. but I'm doing it reverse. When you were at your best, what was it like? You know, tell me about the best, you know, success you've had at work in the last year. Or they come in, usually, let's say someone comes in, they say, I, you know, I feel terrible. And I will ask, well, what, what, what is it that you'd like to feel instead of terrible? 
because I want to know what we're going to be doing and moving towards. We want to be moving towards something. Mm. We don't want to, otherwise what happens in therapy is you build a hole. I can talk to somebody for 45 minutes, an hour, ask them questions, and I can have them come to therapy forever because we start with one, one problem and I can talk and accidentally move into five problems, 10 problems, 12 problems. I can become Fraser Crane. We'll be seeing each other. I'll be, you'll be putting my kids through like, you know, my grandkids through, you may like it can, it can expand because problems, the, the mind can, the mind is a problem solving device. So it's hard to kind of relax that part. So in the beginning, we want to increase confidence get people to look at when they were at their best, get people to look for the positive anomalies in their life. So if a, a practicing Catholic, a person comes to me and they're struggling with feeling sad, I'm going to ask them about, well, you know, they're going to probably say, well, I want to feel happy or I want to have peace. Their language is important. Language is important um, because, you know, people listen to their own language. They don't care about my language, right? So I'm super, effect super respectful of that. And so I'll ask you, well, when you were at your best, what did you do? Well, it was 10 years ago, you know, I was, I had started my new job and well, what did you like most about it? Well, I had two people I worked for and, and they were really good and we were doing these things. Okay. And so what were you doing? And I keep asking questions and it activates a whole different set of neurons that haven't been activated in a long time. Mm. And, and, and it's, it's its own pattern because these, these people, all of them have these patterns, but their brains our brains don't like to go to the patterns of positive anomaly. They like to study problems. But once you do it, their brains start to make connections, right? And so, well, what you, what you did 10 years ago, well, what is it that, you know, well, I had this excitement. I had, well, what gave you the excitement? Well, I had projects to do. Okay. And what would it be like if you were able to get that level of excitement now? And now we start to take that activation and we start to put it in the present moment. And we start to talk about in their life, what would it be like if you were able to do this? What would it be like if you were able to be excited at work or with your spouse? Or what would be different? And getting them to answer those questions makes their brain start to change. Hmm. The whole interaction happens in their head. When I teach people this, like when I, when I go and I teach this approach to people, like they don't understand it till they do it. You know, the, the, the conversation is the intervention. There's not like some... You got to do this magic thing. You're going to do this thing. The, the whole experience happens in their mind for the most part, you know, and, and because, because again, what did Jesus do? He asked questions, you know, you always ask questions. And so we want to be listening to the client. So in the beginning, we want to activate confidence, look for like the positive anomalies. When I, when I do this with married couples, one of the things I find fascinating is I talk to them about how they fell in love. When you went out on your first date, what did she wear? The details provoke emotion. Uh, years ago, I had this, this married couple, they wanted a divorce and I was working with a, a gentleman who was training me to do couples work. And I kind of was like, the way, that, the way that we did therapy, in my opinion, when I first started was just super problematic. But this, the, the, learning how to do it a little bit differently, this couple who was on the verge of divorce, they come in and the secretary is, is saying on the phone, like, you know, she's like, we've got a problem in the waiting room. And I'm like, well, what's the problem in the waiting room? And she's like, your, your clients, like your clients are here and there's a problem. And I'm like, well, what is it? Is there a domestic violence thing? And she's like, no, they're making out and you got to get them to stop. And I'm like, and they were, they were making, and it's not because I did anything magical. It's yeah. because they remembered how they fell in love. 
and they remembered all of these things. And the only reason why they came back was to just tell me thank you, and then they never came back. But but people have patterns. Now, everybody's situation is not one and done. Everybody's situation is not one conversation and it's over. But I will say that, like, there's a lot a lot that can be said about the things that, uh, you know, that are, you know, these patterns and these patterns of success in people's lives. So we always want to see those patterns first mm-hmm. because they give people hope. And, it, and it's already hope that's present. People remember what they did when they were at their best. I don't have to make it up. I don't have to suggest something new. I can just start to, we can build off of that. That pattern is already in the brain. So, so that's, that's one component. And, and again, like then we start to think about like, what does the person want in the future? So we take, we take the resources from the client, we take the person's resources, and then we start to try to figure out the exceptions, right? Like where are they already happening? You know, and you know, in their life, where are those exceptions happening? And then what is their life going to look like in the future if this started to occur? And, you know, if this starts to occur, what's it going to look like? And, and that gets the client's mind into the future, right? So when I talk to people about this approach, I, I just say it's it's really about like what, what's in the Hail Mary prayer, right? It's now and at the hour of our death, right? Now and the future. Those are the two points where I can move people, right? Um, the past is incredibly powerful as long as I, and again, you know, I have to be careful about what I talk about, but all people's successes are in the past. I'll have people say, well, the, you, you just don't want to talk about the past. No, I don't want to ask more questions about things that we can't change. Because if we talk about things we can't change, it's going to agitate the mind. And, and the brain only has so much capacity, right? If I talk to a person for a long time about problems, they have no mental capacity, then no mental energy to talk about what they do want. And so it fatigues the mind. So, um, and, and that's just a neurological reality. You can see that in any conversation. Um, and there's interesting research about that. Um, and so, so yeah, we want to we want to really, if you if you if you know people, you care about them, look, have them look into the times where they're doing better. If if people want to be their own, uh, you know, their own psychotherapist, like when was I at my best? When did I feel happier? When did I feel like confident? And, and what would it look like? What would I be doing differently if I felt confident now? You know, what would I be doing? You know, those things are really, I mean, again, that's, that's kind of a very small component of it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, these are, these are like some of the basic tenets of it, right? You know, so that's how I start, though. We want to increase confidence. Well, it's interesting just to get a, an insight into that because... <sighs> You know, often when that whole that whole psychological battle, which sometimes we want to think that we don't want to address because it's maybe something spiritual or whatever, is really at the heart of unwinding or untwisting simple things that then just have lasting impact. You know, you're talking about how um, every every person is it's you say they're they're their own. I don't want to use the word case, but you know what I mean. We're we're all a case, sure. <laughs> but human nature is universal. So I'm no I'm no more or less human in my nature, you know, than somebody else, you know. And so it's not like oh well, you'll never understand. Like mine are my issues are so different. Like you'll you know you don't get it. Nobody will get. I know that's kind of a narcissistic complex, but 
I just think that's important for people is to understand, and it's been helpful for me in my own life when we've gone through, we've done different things. And I'll use this as a transition too, um, from having counseling um, and then also having coaching. And, you know, one helps you to, you receive a lot to a certain degree from a counselor who listens to things and kind of gives some guidance, you know, the counsel. But then there's, I found the greatest uh, change take place when we started going into the coaching mode, or, or I should say being coached by another, which really is it's a very different world. And it's like a crossover of the two. You know, as I was listening to what you were saying, it makes uh, one of the things is you know, coaches draw it out of you. Like they ask lots of questions, but it's not just they ask questions like a, like a therapist would. They're asking like, well, what do you think needs to be done? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, this needs to be done. Okay, well, how are you actually going to begin to move to do that? Like you're solving your own problems while you're revisiting them versus just, oh my gosh, you know. And at the same time, you're saying the positive things, the emotions, all of these things, which psychology helps us to understand really well, I think, they literally move us out from, that's what the word means, move us out from one thing into the next. You know, emotions are extremely important, even in the theology of the body. You know, you learn, mm-hmm. if you take, listen to Christopher West, and he talks about eros, and eros isn't something negative. God created it. They're the rockets. And if we don't have the rockets facing in the right direction, it's disaster. But if we take those rockets, the most powerful force that God gives us in our human sexuality, and we have them ordered in the right way, and we nurture them in the right way, I mean, what what will happen because of that will just fuel, not just fuel, it'll it'll color, transform, and give life to everything, all the deeper levels of things. So based on that, I want to switch over in our last uh, minutes here to what you founded, the Hearts Renewed um, Ministry Apostle. I'm not sure how you phrase that, but it is something where you've now taken all of what you've learned, and now you funneled this into something that's directed toward marriages, um, primarily, it seems. And um, and as I was reading through it, I'm going to just pull up here, as I copied and pasted a few things, was um, was talking about, it, it says, just as on the homepage, and I'll put this up on the screen, marriage transformation on demand is what, the, what it's about. It says, marriage transformation program is a comprehensive online marriage program for married Catholics who want to transform their marriage. The Hearts Renewed Program is made by Catholics for Catholics. We use the genius of Catholicism to transform your marriage. No one understands Catholic marriage better than another Catholic. And then it says, this last part, this program includes dynamic online relationship tools and marriage coaching that combine cutting-edge psychology with thousands of years of Catholic theology and philosophy. That last one is like super, super packed. But you talk about... you. Um, Cutting-edge psychology, marriage coaching, um, you know, somebody, when I'm reading that, I get pretty excited because I think those are the two things that are really needed for Catholic marriages today, and something that, like, my wife and I have focused on when we've done talks or retreats is we've tried to give this integrated approach. Help us to understand a little bit more what this marriage is between the, the psychology and 
the the Catholic wisdom of uh, you know T- Saint Thomas and others, but then how that relates to then a marriage coaching because it's almost like two different things it seems. Sure, sure. So so the, well, there's a couple things. So I like so what I do just professionally speaking, just because like so you talked about coaching before, so. So in general, like the way that I do therapy is what we would call um, uh, solution-focused brief therapy is what I was trained in, which virtually nobody does in the United States very much anymore. Everything is what I would call expert-driven and authoritative, right? Because in the United States, what controls most of the education for counseling and psychotherapy in most of our journals is controlled by pharmaceutical companies. So actual psychological practices and a lot of the research is done overseas, believe it or not. It's, it's hard. There are good people in the States. There's obviously good people that I've worked with here. And so uh, like over seven years, I've been trying to compile, um, you know, essentially the, the components of, of uh, you know, these uh, essentially the guiding principles. If you think about it like a, uh, what would we call it, like an operating system. So I wanted to design not not just a, not not just like a series of like you're going to do this you're going to do that, but I wanted to find an operating system to give married couples so that they can connect the dots in their own marriage. So the dots are all things that Catholics can understand, and those things that are re- reinforced, whether it's theology of the body, the the principles you know of of Thomistic uh, you know. Um, you know, uh, formation in terms of the, you know, the, the physical body, the needs of, of the human person, um, you know, just the natural needs of the human person. But we want to give the married couple like the uh, operating system through, and essentially we ro- rely heavily on questions because questions engage and activate the brain. And the questions are designed and can be answered in, in any number of different ways. And the exercises build off of those questions with the married couples. But because they are um, principles, like you said, there is a general human nature, a universal construct of the human person, um, that, that, that's why this works so effectively. Um, because it's designed not because of my marriage or your marriage, it's designed for marriage, for people who love each other. And, and again, it, it teaches people how to think differently, to think without a therapist, to think without some guru, right? Because like people don't want gurus or they don't need gurus if they did they go to a couples counselor right they can come see me specially uh to do couples work but a lot of people just need to have these principles and need to have conversations that are courageous in nature that give them a a, a, you know an, an awareness of how to get back to the people that they married the person that they wanted to be and to ask the right questions so that they can reinstate confidence and start to design the marriage that they want to be in if they've gotten off track. And obviously, like the, the things that are there are designed for those people to, uh, again, um, organically develop these things. And, and because, again, it's not, um, it's not an authority-based program. I'm not saying that I'm the expert on people's marriages. I'm actually giving them the expertise. I, my expertise is on how change happens. And so if I teach people about how to make the changes they want to see in their marriage, well, then they can do that. They don't need me. And, and a lot of the work that I do with people, they do it when I'm not around. And it's very small things. A lot of people don't want to be seeing a, like a, a third person, right? You, you talked about like the difference between counseling and coaching. Well, 
again, it has to do with what people's belief systems are and what they want and what they believe will, will give them the change. And so if people are open to this, if they're willing to you know, engage in having these conversations and investing in their marriage, well, then this operating system gives them the conversation and the tools to repair or to essentially like an architect design the marriage that you want so that we have really attractive you know, um, you know, strong, holy marriages where people are like, there's something different about this couple. It shouldn't just be that they've, you know, um, you know, they're just some other couple, just as miserable. Mm -hmm. Their marriages need to be different. They, these people need to be alive. And so we want to teach them the truth or, or at least revisit the truth from the Catholic standpoint and the universal truths and realities. And, and, and again, because these things are, again, reinstated by, like you said, like, they're in the church, they're through the saints, and then obviously science is relatively new. Science just confirms what the church says. We, we just Real science always confirms what the Catholic Church teaches. So, you know, if it's real science and it really works, it, it, it's not going to be inconsistent with the Catholic faith. It just, just it never is, right? So, so when, when, when we're doing these exercises, people do them from the comfort of their home. They might do one exercise and say, holy cow, I don't need to do anymore. I had a couple do that. They said, wow, we went through like the first thing. We had all these questions. We've been married for like almost like two decades and we never had a conversation like that. It's almost like playing a game with your spouse. I think, you know, you know I think that people, if, if, it's, if, it is, if it's a simple thing and it's not risky, at least it doesn't start risky, well, then it's approachable and people people will invest more and more in the relationship. But if it's too heady, if you think you got to be an expert to use it, who would use it? Mm -hmm. I don't want to use something if it's if somebody somebody's saying like they're so again. But these are the these are the processes that people do do take. And this is the, the process whereby we can activate change both in our minds and we can operate with our spouse. And so I figure like this is stuff that can genuinely help people. Um, and it, it again, like it's it's got its own uh, its own story that I guess I could talk about at another point. But mm -hmm. the the bottom line is this stuff, you know, this this changes the way that people pay attention. And if you change what you pay attention to, you change your experience of each other. You change the conversations, and you permit possibility. And, and that's one of the biggest issues in therapy is language. If you don't ask the right questions, you don't get possibility. You get conflict. You get limitation. You also don't get people that want to participate. They want to get defensive. But again, doing this at the comfort of your own home, like it's a game, you know, doing it like it's some kind of a date night and have a couple conversations with your spouse or discover, or again, like you can, it's funny, like I had, like somebody say like the, the this experience helped them to like really just individually, like understand why they didn't feel confident, right? Because confidence has a lot to do, like I said, with the person that you wanted to be. Like if you get off track with thinking about who you want to be at the end of your life, instead you're pleasing your wife or you're pleasing your husband or you're pleasing your kids or you're trying to trying to like win affection on Instagram, you're going to get kind of screwed psychologically because mm -hmm. you're going to compromise yourself and you're not going to have boundaries. So again, people are learning about boundaries. People are learning about confidence, but they're not knowing that this is what we're doing. They don't have to, you don't have to be a psychological graduate school student. You don't have to be a Thomistic scholar. We want this to be really accessible. So it's like, okay, I learned something and this was manageable. It wasn't like you had to sit down for like a five hour lecture with me. You know, I leave that for my kids. They've got to put up with me. But, you know, I mean, everybody else, like, you know, you can do a couple minutes. You can do this exercise and, 
again, like th those people that are serious about like investing in their marriage or they want to see how good their marriage can be. Um, these exercises are really, they're really wild even because I've done them. Like I obviously, if, you know, I've done these for obviously like for, for um, retreats and different things for, for marriages, uh, you know, seeing people just have a completely different interaction with each other by the end of the, just having these conversations. It's wild. You know what I mean? Um, you know, uh, so, you know, because what we talk about influences the way that we experience our reality um, and how we act. All change, all change happens with language, right? So that, that's one of the big components that I've discovered in my work. You know, so if someone says like, I, I you know, if someone says like, I'm, I'm, I'm living with cancer versus I'm dying from cancer, that's way different. If someone says, mm -hmm. you know, you know, I, I'm, you know, uh, it's a completely different reality. So when we get the language to change, when we get the attention to change, people's lives start to alter. And so you, you, one last thing though, so the, the, the way that the structure works, which is kind of interesting, you know what a prism is, right? From my, mm -hmm. my, 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 I was raised by hippies. So, you know, the, the prism right. where the light comes in, right? right? So my mentor always used to say that people, God made people like prisms, right? If you can let light come in one area, it illuminates the whole, right? It's the same thing, right? If we, if someone does the program and they only do one part, it might change everything. Like I said, they don't have to do it all. I don't know. Like, that's why I said, you, you, myself, I've had conversations with people that one thing changes everything. Yeah. I mean, it's, so it's is kind it, of a weird dynamic. Yeah. So is it something that is a la carte for somebody who wants to go through this in the sense of you can just see when you when you uh, get into the, uh, is, would you say it's a course or? Yeah. Okay. So when yeah. they get in, is, is it something then where there's an ideal, you, you simply methodically would go through each of those things that are designed with kind of a pedagogy or is it, Hey, what of these things do you believe you need to start with? And then here's where you go to do that. Well, I think that people can pick up, like they, they may see topics that they want, right? And if they want, like you said, a la carte, they can click on that, that dimension of the course, right? So there's part of it that's for confidence or developing a foundation, right? Because you have to have a solid foundation to really do certain things. So let's say somebody has lost confidence in themselves, or let's say that, you know, they, people want to work on the communication or they want to work on co-parenting. Well, then they want to click on this. And they might do it archaeologically, right? They might start with the co-parenting, and then in the co-parenting one, it may be a reference for them to do something else, right? Or to go back and listen to something else. So maybe that's how they do it. But but it's not. Um, it doesn't. It, it's it's asymmetric, I guess, right? It doesn't have to be. I'm not a linear person in the sense that like it must be done. Dot dot dot. It'd be it'd be great, and it it flows, but it also kind of can operate, right? If you're struggling and you want to kind of, you know, figure out how to get your home logistics in order, well, then you do the part that says like, you know, uh, family operations and work on that with your spouse or communication or, you know, how to kind of, uh, you know, recapture like, you know, the emotional connection with your spouse or how to talk about certain types of things. And then they just, they run through that. But again, it's not, it's not designed to be necessarily heady so much as it's it's i'm a pragmatist right mm -hmm. so we want people to have conversations and we want people to um, have something that gives them a tool at the end whether it's a tool of communication or a physical tool of how to operate for however long like you know whether it's like a, a family management tool in terms of figuring out how to set goals 
figure out how to organize the way that you're going to uh, you know, operate the home. Because if people understand their roles and responsibilities, it's a little bit easier. Also, you have a lot less conflict. So yeah, so people can do what they choose, like whether they want to, you know, um, you know, bop around or they want to follow it in linear progression that, you know, okay. either will work. Also, there's the option for, for um, you know, the, the, the individuals to do it, you know, sometimes their spouse might not be on board, right? So there are other, other um, you know, parts where, well, maybe the, the, the spouse is going to have to do this part on their own because their spouse doesn't have the confidence or doesn't really want to get engaged right now. But like I said, if light comes into one part, it can come into the whole, right? Right. You know, so, All right. So it's just, well, it's designed well, for the end of it. Yeah, yeah, well, that's awesome. Well, two things, because we're at the end of our time here. Um, one will be, you could tell us where they can go to, to get it. But before that is, um, who is, who would you say um, this program is ideally suited for? You know, because there are some things where people are like, hey, if you are ready to walk out the door like, on each other, this might not be where you want to start, or it is where you want to start. Some people might say, well, you go to Retrovi, or you go to this, or, um, you know, but for somebody who's listening, like, oh, is, could this be for me? Uh, who's the ideal person for this couple, I should say? Oh, well, I mean, I, again, you know, this is designed for people who, uh, obviously, I don't know if they're going to fall into like a specific range category, but this is designed for people who are, interested in probably taking uh, i would say like in some ways the 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 first small step to improve and make things better right mm -hmm. if you can commit to the first small step if you're all in and you are your marriage is in trouble or something well then call a couples counselor but again if all you're able to commit to is this small movement like i said the small movement because i'm all about like small steady change because success is a process not an mm -hmm. event so Again, if, you, if people are willing to take the first small step to make things better, then this is for them. And again, it's low risk. It's, it's, it's low risk in terms of you're not having to bring in a third party. It's not some costly, ridiculous coaching program. It's, and again, you, you take it in, in your own stride. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's designed you know, for you to kind of complete in your own timetable. Um, so again, like I've had people that are married, like I said, a couple decades. I have people that are newly married that, that have been interested in, 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 in seeing this whole thing in, in terms of like wherever you're on the spectrum, right? If you're a, a new married mm -hmm. person who doesn't know what to expect from marriage and doesn't want to goof it up, I got people that want it from that point. I got people that are, a lot of people that are like, you know, been married for a while um, because again, uh, you know, the, the, sometimes they've lost the ability to have that uh, communication and mm -hmm. those patterns of, of um, uh, you know, just, just, you know, fondness and appreciation for each other. So it, it, it depends. But I'd say, like, if this is something that you can do, if you're the kind of person who would do, like, an on uh, an online date night with your spouse, you know, that would make your, 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 your marriage better, then this is the kind of thing that you'd be into. Because why wouldn't you want to go on a date and have a couple conversations with your spouse that would make your marriage better? Or, or yeah. you know what I mean? And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah, so very minimalist. That's what I am, a minimalist in a lot of ways. <laughs> well, I think people like simplicity. I know I do. So my final thought is basically that no matter where you are, not just like waiting to have a crisis in your marriage or you are in a crisis, but I think that these kinds of programs uh, are so helpful for those who are not even married. 
um, you know, who are engaged and, and haven't really probably had a great formation. In most cases, a lot of marriage prep is lacking in these kinds of things. I worked in a tribunal for a while, for a few years, yeah. where I dealt nothing but nullity cases. And when people would go fill out the petition, the questionnaire, basically that is the grounds for perhaps so what we call an annulment. Um, they go through it, and it's so extensive, and it's so in-depth in, in that they look back and they say, if I had only been asked these questions and presented to these before we got married, either I would never have married this person, or we both would have had to work these things out before we actually got married. Yeah. Um, because it's, it's you can look at it, like you're saying, as a negative or in a positive way. And if you're saying, well, you know, how, how answering these questions is going to change things positively, then you can only be improved no matter what it is, if that's your mindset. And I think that's, we should have another conversation about that. But when you're talking about the importance of language, all of those things are important. Why? Because it affects our, our mindset. Like you're saying, the science is there and the science is incredible. And I'm more, I'm really fascinated about that aspect of things. So I'm going to leave it on that note. First, um, before I give you the final word, where can people go to learn more and, and get access to, uh, to this program? Sure. Sure. They can go online to www.heartsrenewed.org, heartsrenewed.org, right? So that's, uh, that's how they can get access to the main program. If they, if they find it interesting, like, and they want to suggest it to their par parish priest uh, for their parish to get it, there's a, uh, a way for their parish to get uh, ownership of the program and and, dis and disperse it to their, you know, the, the parishioners or even a diocese if a diocese is interested to use it as well. They just got to reach out and contact us and the administration and and my uh, team will uh, will take care of that. So, and if people are are want to, if they're not completely tired of me, there's always like like I said, I'm going to be doing the the podcast again tomorrow. We'll be uh, releasing another episode of the Smuggling Hope podcast and talking about sleep actually so um because that screws up people's conversations too because they're cranky and they don't think well when they don't sleep right so awesome well yeah, everybody so. make sure you yeah check that out you can also check out the podcast that we did together i don't know a couple few months ago i don't know what episode that was yeah. i did look yeah. it back up not too long ago that was a lot of fun um yeah. but once again yeah with um with 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 dan you're going to get a lot of practical things that i believe make all the difference Obviously, keep praying, but it's uh, it's faith and works, and like I said, you know, grace perfects nature. Um, so, Dan, I want to thank you for your time. I really hope I can have you back again, probably on something. I'd like to choose a specific issue now that we have a good introduction to you, what you do, to uh, to give people some you know some uh, good snippets of things to to munch on that can improve them, and then hopefully they'll also then want to go and check out what you offer from a program standpoint as well. So I'm going to put a little, a little direct, not pressure on you, but give us one practical thing. Those who are watching us who are married, that simple, that, and just right to the point of what can enhance our marriage right now, no matter where we are. Well, what I would say is if you can, if you, if you, if, if, um, if you can, the one thing that I would say that, that people should get into the habit of doing every day for a couple minutes is to try to communicate verbally specific details of why they appreciate their spouse. Because that helps to build patterns of fondness and appreciation 
that are lacking in most of our relationships because people forget to communicate these things. And our brains are actually, they're, they're built to detect like um, being not genuine, right? So if I tell my wife, I love being married to you, she's not listening to me. But if I say, I really appreciate all of your hard work and I really admire your discipline because you got up super early to do all of this other stuff for our kids. She has to listen to it because there's a detail. It also helps me to build a love story with my spouse. So mm. practicing appreciation to your spouse is important. It also will protect your brain from being resentful and being critical. Criticism is the big thing that shuts us down. And so like try to communicate appreciation. And if you can, if you really want to bulk it up, think about what you actually need from your spouse because that's the other difficult thing, but to say it in a way where there's no judgment. So if I come home tonight and I say to my wife, I really have a desire to be close to you and to be alone with you, but without our kids, because I really just want to connect to you. That's very different than coming home and saying, "Where? why are all these kids here? Why is it such a mess? What's wrong with you? Like, why are you so unhappy? Because my need is still there, but all she heard was judgment. So I guess those are those are two things that I say that are very practical, hard to master, but start with the appreciation because mm. that really, that, that really, um, you know, it works us over. So see what you have in your marriage and your spouse. And then the second thing is think about what's alive in you and teaching your spouse, like how to love you through your needs. That's super hard though. Get rid of the judgment, right? So I'm sorry. That, so you can pick one of the and two. We got some bonuses in that. And yeah. I'm actually thinking like, Wow, I look forward to this one part at the end more than more than anything. I've just walked away with something that I know I can do and should do. And um, you know, I my, my wife's uh, her language one of one, uh, probably her strongest one um, is words of affirmation. Mm. You know, we talk about these love languages, so that speaks to me. Great, now I'm you know knowledge is responsibility, so now I got to do it even more. So hey, that's wonderful though. <laughs> Hey, Dan, it has been Thanks. such a pleasure to have you on uh, joining us all the way from Buffalo. Everyone go to heartsrenewed.org and check out Dan's program. I know I'm going to be checking it out and I hope that we can uh, do some stuff in the future. All right. God bless you. Take care. Right is right if nobody is right. Wrong is wrong if everybody is wrong. And believe me, in this error-infested world, what we really need is a church and an authority that is right, not when the world is right, but one that is right when the world is wrong.